amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation as usual as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. Don't you think about everyone and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host Lori LeBay and I'm thrilled you can join us today. We are going to be talking with a son about his journey and how he's documented that through two books. But before we go there, I always like to do a couple of shout outs. So First of all, I want to shout out to the Mark Arneson Band. I'm thrilled that they let us use their song, Clarion Call, as our opening music. You can download that on any of your favorite music platforms if you'd like. And then for those of you that are new, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people. And so maybe, just maybe, you can be our next guest. We interview people all around the world at all different levels. Uh, that they're serving from those uh, who are living with the diagnosis to families, advocates, researchers, a variety of businesses, and people just who just have have thoughts um, on how we are dealing with with this issue um, in the world. Another thing you should know of if you're if you are stewing on an idea to improve dementia care, check out Mods Ventures. They are funding three different projects, 50 to $100,000 each for seed money. So go to modsventures.org and see if your idea fits their category. Now, I'm really proud we finally launched Alzheimer's Speaks new website. Still has a few little ticks we got to work through, but it's much easier to maneuver. And I want to make sure that you visit our free educational resources page. There you can access Um, Everything about our radio show, our Dementia Chats videos where our panelists are living with dementia, uh, Dementia in the Arts educational program, again, highlighting those living with dementia. You can learn about memory cafes, you can learn about uh, Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory uh, that I am co-founder of with Dave Wiedrich, who has the memory cafe directories dementia-friendly communities, there's poetry, and there's just so much more. Just go check out alzheimerspeaks.com and let us know what your thoughts are. Also, a really popular program that people have really liked is the Memory Camp, and that is going to be open again August 15th to the 18th. It's for people who are diagnosed along with their families to just have a a beautiful vacation in Wisconsin. You can call 715-479-8255 for more information. And we are going to listen to the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Uh, They're going to talk a little bit about the foot bar walker, and we will be right back with our guest. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. 
Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, so we are back, and I get to introduce you to our guest today, who is Dr. Norris Roberts, and he wrote the Still Here series books, which is about himself as a son in his 40s and his caregiving journey with Alzheimer's, diabetes, and heart disease. Uh, Norris describes himself as a Southern boy at heart who is living in the Midwest, and he enjoys beef liver and onions with rice and gravy and sweet tea and a large slice of pound cake and everything beautiful that his wife prepares for him while their dogs patiently wait for their food droppings on the floor because they're a little on the jealous side. Well, Norris, I'm thrilled to have you with us today. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for having me. Now, on our show, I always start out with the same question to everybody, and that is, how have you been personally touched by dementia in your own family and circle of friends? If you wouldn't mind sharing that with us, that's, I think it's just helpful for our audience to know. Well, first of all, my grandmother, on my maternal side, she had Alzheimer's. My mother's eldest brother died from Alzheimer's. My mother's eldest sister had Alzheimer's and also my mother had Alzheimer's and she died from Alzheimer's. That's a lot of connection. Yes. I've seen a lot of it in my, you know, in my life. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now you have a book series and why don't you talk a little bit about that? What uh, I, I find with most authors, something happened that said, I have, to, I have to write about this. I have to share this journey. I think what happened with me, I was trying to um, learn, I was trying to figure out a way to cope. And so writing was a way for me to, um, it was like therapeutic for me, uh, mm-hmm. cathartic for me. It was a way for me to process what was happening. It was a way for me to um, analyze what was you know, going on with my mother in particular. And so, I mean, that was that, that, that was a really the real start of writing. Uh, to decide to publish the book, um, that came as a, a nudge from other family and friends. Because um, I've been published before. I've been published, published academically, but never um, been published. I never published in this way before. So this was, this was a first for me. So I, I was encouraged by you know, family, friends, professors that I should uh, write about this and publish it. And I hear so many people talk about the the healing process of writing, but this must have been a really different journey because it was so personal versus writing academically. Yes, it was it was it, it was um deeply personal because um you know my mother she was my heart, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so I mean that was that they made it deeply personal. And I always say I even said in my book I feel like you know mothers are their children's first love. They made the connection even more deep. But my mother and I, we have a very close relationship. I'm, I'm very much a, a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and anybody that knows me is that, that yeah, Norris, he's a, he's a mama's boy. Uh, my mother, we had like a really good relationship. Uh, we could just sit back and just talk for hours at a time, just me and her. I couldn't even imagine, um, even as a, you know, as a young adult, not a week not go by and I not talk and I'm I don't have a conversation with my mother um and and even through the years um when I was it became an adult and I was married and had children um we had Sunday dinners and my mother always cooked and my wife and my two kids was always over for Sunday dinners after church and so you know, there, there was always this this um this very um, deep and very rich connection that I had, you know, with my mom through through the years, and for her to um not to be able to call my name at some point, I mean, that was very disturbing, very very mm-hmm. disturbing. But you know, I had to figure out a way that 
the, our relationship and our connection will continue uh, regardless of the of the memory lapses of the, of the dementia the disease all of that and um and part of my writing is just kind of showing how uh, we we kept that connection um I often say to people that my mother um when she had got the Alzheimer's her spiritual awareness heightened mm -hmm. uh, much like a person who um a person that's blind when they um lose their sight their other senses heightened and so my mother I felt like uh, what was happening with her her spiritual awareness heightened an example of that was um when I was a little boy, she always see, I reminded her of her younger brother, Howard. Uh, my mother, she has like 10 siblings. <laughs> <laughs> and so she, she has one sibling uh, that was younger. His name was Howard. And it got to a point in the disease where she couldn't call my name. But she always said me and Howard had similar spirits. <laughs> and so she started to call me Howard. <laughs> so and so because I, I understood that and knew that I welcomed it because that you know I may she she may not could remember my name, but she did remember my spirit. And that's why I said her spiritual awareness had heightened. And so th that's how it worked with her and um and that's how we kept our connection, you know, continue to grow to go. And in some cases it, it continued to grow. Because um, I, I had to um, recall, I call them flashbacks in my book, uh, like memories that she shared with me when I was a little boy. I just growing up, I just, that's in life. Mm -hmm. I will use those memories to reconnect with her about things she shared with me. And sometimes she would not know it was about her. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, you just keep telling the story. Then she like, Oh, then, then she was, oh, I remember. And then she knows it's about her. But just telling her story, telling her story to her made her um interested. She was like, that sounds familiar. That sounds interesting. And then as you keep hearing the story, then she said, Oh, that's about me. And then she'll laugh and she'll smile, and you see a connection come back. And so that's how we kept things going, um, her and I. Well, that's nice. And, you know, I'm glad you, you brought up the thing about the name. Like I have a brother and my mom used to call him her brother and he was just mad. He just, he didn't want to accept it. He just wanted her to know who he was and call him by name. And he really couldn't get past that no matter how many different ways I explained to it or that he even looked like my uncle you know, when my uncle was younger and he, he just didn't want to accept the fact that this was a loving gesture. She loved her brother. This, you know, you're not some mean bully that she's pushing away. She, she loved him. And to have that essence be attached to you is, is a good thing. She feels safe. She's happy. She's comfortable, but he, he just could not get there. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. Uh, with that name. It's just, you know, it's so ingrained in people. And I also really agree with the heightened spirituality. I, I saw that with my own mom, but I've seen it with so many others. And I've heard so many other families say that too. I found as the disease progressed with my mom, and I'm wondering if this happened with yours, but as it progressed, kind of the quieter she got, but in some ways, the more peaceful she got, I mean, the more grounded she got in you could feel it when you'd visit. It was just a different era. Well, like we were talking, you know, offline about how crazy the world is right now and everything's just spinning. And you, when I went to visit her, everything just slowed down. And you really were in this present moment. And I know when, when people used to first start talking about, you know, getting in the moment, everyone's like, oh, that's taboo and that's new age. And and no, it's just really about finding that peacefulness within you. And it can take a lot of different spiritual levels. It's not connected to one type of, of spirituality or another. It's just really that peacefulness within, or that's how I look at it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I agree with you, um, Lori. Um, there, there was a, 
as I'm about, she progressed through the disease, she got to a place where um, she stopped talking. I mean, then she stopped talking at all. It, I mean, I think literally like, I want to say months went by and I not heard her voice. And that was another loss I had to like embrace and accept. And I was, you know, I, I mean, I enjoyed, you know, hearing her voice. That gave me, that gave me comfort. And so when I didn't hear a voice, you know, there was a, it was a void, you know, there mm-hmm. was um, in my, you know, in my, in my life. And, and it came so unexpectedly. And so it was one day. I was just, uh, I was, I was combing her hair, but, and I was just talking to her, like I'm talking to you. We just talking and I'm, I'm just talking. She's not saying anything. And then, uh, I'm telling her about all my problems. I'm having like this, 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 um, therapy session <laughs> <laughs> with her. And, uh, my mother, she got up and she hugged me and she said, it's going to whisper in my ear and said, it's going to be okay. I think, uh, I mean, a large tear just came out of my eye. I was like, she she heard everything I said. Because it's, it was not so much that she said it. It was the way she said it. And it was the way she held me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. Yeah. She, she, I mean, she, she heard it all. And so the reason I share this and, and why it meant so much to me because I was going through a period because she wasn't talking. There was other family members saying things like, oh, she's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. She's just a shell. Um, she don't know what's going on. And that was a, a indicator mm-hmm. to let me know that, yes, yeah, she is. She, she may, she's, she's having lucid thoughts. She is having, um, She's all there. It's just that with that disease, they just can't always communicate what their thoughts and what's going on. That's so neat, though, to feel that validation from her, you know, just and I think people don't understand as this disease progresses, the work it takes on their part to be able to produce those words and to get up and and hug. I, I went through that with my own mom. She hadn't said my name in like three years. And then we had kind of this, it was kind of a funny incident. I won't go through the whole story, but she, she woke up kind of out of a dead sleep and then just said, oh, Lori, you know, I shouldn't wear a bikini because I had said something goofy to her. And, and then she giggled and then she just went back to sleep. I sat up on her bedside and I like just rubbed her belly because she's just laying there kind of basking in the sun. For like two and a half hours, I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because it wasn't until that moment that I hadn't really realized she hadn't said my name in like three years and how much I missed that. I mean, it's just, it's really profound when they have those lucid moments like that. And it really makes you understand that just like a person who um, might be in a coma, the nurses will always say they can, they can take everything in. They just can't respond all the time. So don't expect that, but just know that your connections are still there. And, uh, you know, that you said one big tear, I would have been just bawling and probably just melts right in her arms, you know, (laughs) if she did that. Because, you know, my mom got to the point too, where she couldn't hug anymore. And I missed, I missed being able to have a hug, but she just, you know, she didn't have that movement anymore. So there's so many things that happen through this disease that are, are significant losses. And I don't think we always even understand the loss that we're going through because we don't, anyways, I didn't, I didn't identify that I missed a hug until I got a hug. I didn't, you know, or that I missed my name being here, heard until I heard it again. Uh, you know, there's a lot of those types of things I think that we just, we don't talk about, but boy, you feel them. When you say that, um, it was one time that um, my mother, she was still with us, but we were, um, my, my dad's eldest sister had got her new house. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my dad, uh, he has um, 10 siblings. <laughs> <laughs> they both come from big families. <laughs> right, he has 10 siblings. And so um, all of his sisters were, were, were coming to St. Louis to have this house warming with, um, 
know, at, at, at his at his eldest sister's house. And so that was the first time in years that they all were together in, you know, in St. Louis together in the same house. And so my one aunt, Aunt Lynn, she had, um, she's big into baking mm-hmm. and she baked this some um, coconut cake. And um, my mother, my mother always made me a coconut cake for my birthday. I mean, up till she couldn't make a coconut cake anymore. But what was so special about this coconut cake is that it was the same recipe that my mother had. They all shared recipes. Because my grandmother, she was a, my, my paternal grandmother, she was a big coconut cake baker because my favorite cake is coconut cake. My dad's favorite cake is coconut cake. And my grandfather's favorite <laughs> cake is coconut cake. <laughs> and so it's, it's a big deal in our family. So um, I got this piece of coconut cake and I just, and I, I was eating it and I just started bawling mm-hmm. and I was crying because I was like, I haven't had this cake in years because mm-hmm. my mother been, was sick for years and it was, it was identical to what she would make, identical to it. And so I can relate to just, you know, like years, like we have not had something for a long time and you have it and you don't even realize you've missed it for that long. And then you realize I've not had this like in a very, very long time. And it's very, very, very good. And that's what, I mean, I can relate to that. But I just think that's just part of the caregiving experience that you go through when you are, you know, caring for someone with this disease. Yeah. And it, it, in all different ways, all different multi sensories can can come into play with that miss you know like for you it was taste for me you know the hug was uh, you know uh textile i mean it can be sounds it can be all kinds of things and you're right you don't even realize how much you miss it and how precious it is till you have it again and then you i mean for me i think the things that really triggered me were really simple things really little things you know, they, they weren't big, flashy things. They were, you know, a, you know, a, a word or a touch or for you, you know, a piece of cake, you know, and it just triggers all those emotions back, you know, from all those years of growing up and, and things. Let's talk a little bit about your, your book cover because it won, you know, it won an award recently. So why don't you talk about that and even why you pick the title? For, for your series. Okay, um, my book cover, if you look at it, it's, it has, a, um, the, it's right behind me, like the, the, the mm-hmm. actual paintings. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, uh, this, so in the initial book cover I had, for Mama is still here, this book is called Daddy is Still Here. I had my, my mother's, it was illustrated, my mother was in front of this um, three pane mirror and she saw three different images in this mirror. And so, and, and the reason for that is because that she was going through this thing with mirrors. Mm-hmm. Uh, she thought that she'd go to the, in the bathroom, look in the mirror, and she would say, um, that one was in the bathroom again. Mm-hmm. And the issue was that she couldn't, she, couldn't re- she couldn't retain enough memory to retain how she looked in the present. And so, the image that she was looking for was someone, I mean, it could have been somebody in her, as a little girl, someone in her 20s or someone like in her 30s or 40s. We don't know, mm-hmm. but she wasn't expecting to see this person that's like 65 to 70 years old in the mirror. Cause you know, we, we, we progress in how we look as we get older. And so from that illustration, I decided to move her move those three people along with her out of the mirror because what would what started happening going forward she started to um have these conversations with like these three different people (laughs) and so uh and then these conversations she would have she would actually be trying to you know, she asked me to get snacks for them. And so I had to go and get apples or potato chips, whatever, for these three, these two, three other people she was talking to. And so my interpretation was that it was like 
me, myself, and I. It was these mm-hmm. other people that she was talking to. It was this was different versions of herself. And so the other interpretation with that was going on, it was that sometimes she would act as though she was a little girl. And there was moments when she would act like she was this, this little feisty thing in her mm-hmm. 20s. And then and then she'd be that mother, the one that embraced me in her 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. And so I saw her act out these different people. So I just said that, okay, it's time to take them out of the mirror because they already out the mirror and put them alongside of me and my dad. Mm-hmm. And so that's how, that's how I decided, that's why I did what I did for the illustration for the book cover. The reason I named the book Daddy is Still Here is because that my dad was, uh, my, my, my mom first um, began with this disease my dad did an excellent job of taking care of my mother. I mean, he took he took her to the beauty shop once a week. When she couldn't dress herself anymore, he would dress her. Um, she lost a lot of weight because part of the disease, she just wouldn't eat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what he would do, he would dress her the way she would dress herself. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't just buy her a bunch, like some sweats and say, put, you know, put that on her. He bought her really nice clothes just to sit in the house with, cause he wanted her to look like she all, how she would dress herself, you know? And so, you know, my dad friends, they would always say that, um, my dad name is Norris as well, Norris Senior. And they would say, they said Norris raised the bar really high of how a husband should take care of a sick wife. Cause we kept socializing her. We kept taking her out to dinner. We never stopped socializing my mother. If there was like any important function or event that we all would go to, she was right there with us. You know, if she had these bizarre behaviors, we didn't care. We kept socializing her until she couldn't, until she was no longer mobile. Mm -hmm. So because of the example my dad set, uh, I I decided to call her daddy is still here because right now my dad, he passed on three years after my mother had passed. And so even though he's gone, the example he left with us is still here. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, daddy is still here. Okay. Well, and that's so nice to hear that you as a family, you know, tried to preserve her as much as possible and didn't outcast her. She was still included. I, I think socialization is why my mom lived for 30 years with this disease. And I mean, I had people tell me, there's no way she has that. And you can only live five to seven years because that's what the doctors were saying. And I'm like, the doctors don't have a clue with any disease how long we have to live. That's the bottom line. It's it's a guesstimate. Um, But, you know, back then they really knew nothing. I mean, that's been almost 40 years ago now because my mom died in 2014. And, you know, they just didn't have a clue. And They still, you know, many of them, many of the doctors still aren't educated on dementia and what it takes and the importance of of still loving them and engaging them and having them be part of life. Uh, It's, you know, uh, my mom, we would do the same thing. You know, she she um, would come to all the parties. We would always have this big patio in the backyard. So we would have you know, hundred people over and stuff. And she loved parties. I mean, she just loved, loved parties. And then she ended up moving into the nursing home and then we would bring her over and then we couldn't transport her anymore because we couldn't get her in and out of the cart. So then we ended up getting a service and they're like, well, when do you want us back? And I'm like, when we call you, because we don't know how long she's going to last, you know? And then it got to the point where she just couldn't come out. So then we all had to go to her which was fine, but she loved being around people and that, you know, not everybody's a social person too. So you have to take that into consideration. I gather your mom liked being in the hub. It sounds like, um, and around people. And so, you know, that that's going to make a big difference. If somebody wasn't social prior, they're probably not going to feel real comfortable in a crowd now. Um, and you have to, did you find that you had to adjust like noise levels and things like that? I, I, you know, we found that light and noise, all of those things had significant impacts on her and could trigger 
trigger her as as things progress? Did you see that too? Yeah, we saw that as well. So um, like my dad had a 70th birthday party, and so that's probably one of the last parties she went to. And so my dad, my dad's a twin. So, okay. we got, and so I, I pulled out a party from my um, my dad and his twin sister uh, at this hotel. And my dad, while my mom all dialed up, see, he bought her this beautiful outfit. Uh -huh. We and went to the um, we went to the beauty shop that day and got her hair done. And so, uh, but she was, you know, she was still mobile. But then that's when the sounds and things like that really started to get start to bother her. And so, and we knew these things. And so we didn't know how long she was going to be able to stay at this party. We were going to make, just try to make it work. Mm -hmm. It was my dad's special day. And, um, and it got to a point where um, that, because we had a jazz, a jazz band was there. And so she tolerated for, for a while, mm -hmm. but it got to a point where she couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so that's when, we had to make an exit and uh, I took her home. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, I, I mean, that, that, the, it was noise made a difference. Um, light did. Um, li not light so much, but the, it was a noise and made a difference. The, the one thing that really made it um, was water. Water was, water was a big deal for her. Oh. Um, and so, um, and I guess light was a big, you know, water was a big deal and light, it was a big deal because what would happen, you know how you look at the concrete sometimes mm -hmm. and the concrete kind of glistens? Yep. So, and, and, and with that disease, it, it compromised how they see things. So she would sometimes think that the car in the driveway was, it was water in the driveway. It was Sitting on the lake, yeah. <laughs> And so, and so I'm like, we're trying to go somewhere in the car. And she said, I can't go out there. I'm on, I can't, I'm on a drown. I can't swim. <laughs> and I said, she said, it's, it's all, all the waters out there. And, and it's not, it's just glistening because, you know, because the sunlight. Mm -hmm. So what I would do, I would just, she only weighed a hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. I just pick her up and put it in the car. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, she was happy with it. She's like, okay, you pick me up. I'll go. I'll go. And so <laughs> she would, <laughs> But she's not going to go and walk to the car herself. But um, a lot of times I just picked her up and just took her where I wanted her to go. I didn't even, um, you know, to the car or, or even in the house. When mm -hmm. they, sometimes she just didn't want to do it. And yes. so I just pick her up and take her. Mm -hmm. Then she said, oh, okay. Then, she, then she's more willing at that point. So... Yeah, so I mean, all those things were factors. And you just, the one thing I tell people all the time is um, as a caregiver, you got two jobs. Your first job is to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And your second job is to comfort them. And that's it. And if you do anything other than comfort them, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like um, then you're going to have problems. You yep. will have problems. Uh, I remember one time um, uh, my mother, like every day, every Sunday, I go to my parents' house and I go pick them up, bring them to my house for Sunday dinner. My mother, my wife started, my wife took up the mantle of cooking Sunday dinner with mm -hmm. my parents. And so up to, up to the, the day my mother died, we continue to have Sunday dinners every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And if my mother couldn't, if she wasn't mobile enough to come, my dad didn't feel up to it. We would bring, we would cook dinner in my house and we would bring it to my parents' house mm -hmm. and have dinner with them. But anyway, this, the thing I wanted to share was this one day, it was coming to my house. Mother, she was having a good day. I mean, she got in the car with no problem. She got out the car with no problem. And so she got to the, to the front door of my house and she just stopped. And I said, mama, what's wrong? Oh, I had a screen door open. I said, mama, what's wrong? And she said to me, are you serious? And I said, <laughs> and I, said I, I kept trying to understand what she was trying to communicate. And she kept looking at this welcome mat. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at the welcome mat and I've been doing some other research. I heard about people sometimes think that like a black welcome mat is like a hole in the floor. Yep. And so I just picked it up and threw it over in the landscape bushes. 
And she looked at me and said, how do you do that? And she walked <laughs> in the house. <laughs> yeah, that depth perception is something else. My mom used to tap her toe because, you know, if you're on asphalt to concrete to grass, I mean, it all looks really different. And in some like communities, they used to put like black tile around the nurse's desk or the elevator because people would think that it's a hole and they'd stay away from those areas. And, you know, most of us don't, you, I mean, you don't know this stuff till you have to know this stuff till it, till it comes up to be questioned. But even my dad with his, he had brain cancer. And um, back in the day, we had a, a like a, a single driveway. And so we'd have all these people over for the holiday. I'm like, dad, you got to get that car up right next to the garage door. He's like, okay, okay. And I, and then I go back out and I look out and I'm like, he's like 20 feet away from the garage door. And I'm like, okay, dad, I need your keys. I got to pull it up. It's, it's as close as I can get, you know, but things change. And I know I'm 63 now. So I, I, I'm starting to see some of those differences myself on what my eyes are doing. Cause part of that is normal aging, but part of it's not. And so understanding, you know, just to pick up that, that uh, mat and, and whip it around. Or, you know, when you were talking too about the, your, your party for your dad, my family had a 50th birthday party for me. And it was a, it was a big surprise to do. And my mom was there. Well, my mom thought it was her party. So, you know, she wanted to open up all the gifts and my daughter had bought me this beautiful emerald ring and grandma put it on her finger. And my, my daughter was really young and she's like, no, grandma, it's not. She, cause she was afraid it was going to get stuck on her hand and I was never going to get the ring. Back <laughs> but she was dancing and having a good time. And, you know, another time we went to a wedding and, and uh, she thought it was my wedding. And so she was thanking all the guests and, you know, they had like five different communion stands and she went to every single one of them. And my, my brother wanted to go up with her and he wasn't really used to being around her a whole lot. And he didn't know what to do. And he was just kind of tracing her, you know, from one to the other. And it's like, just let her go, not hurting anything. And the family whose wedding, it was a very close family friend. They said that was one of the best moments that we knew Dorothy got so much joy out of our wedding that she was so proud of, of our wedding because she thought it was her family's, you know, <laughs> and, and letting those things just be instead of trying to correct them. And that's what I love about some of the things that you're talking about. You're, you're going with the flow and you're adjusting to get back to those key points of making them comfortable. Cause that's really the crux of care. You know, they've, they've identified like the seven stages of Alzheimer's and you say that there's six stages of caregiving. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can. Um, so in care in, uh, in the caregiving piece of it, it's by Denise Brown. Mm-hmm. Actually, she's a person that um, her organization one that gave me the award for my book. And it's called um, the Caring Years Academy. But she has these six stages, and I got them right here. I don't. I can't remember the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But it's the expectant caregiver, the freshman caregiver, and the entrenched caregiver, the transitioning caregiver. And it's also, it's the, um, the last stage is no longer a caregiver or the stage I am in right now. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also in the stage as um, being what you call Godspeed. Mm-hmm. So Godspeed is where I'm at now. And, it, and that's where, you know, you take where you, what you've learned mm-hmm. and you get to be an advocate for others and able, you know, like what we're doing right now, we, we mm-hmm. talk about this and we, you know, um, sharing with other people um, some knowledge of what they can do to help them guide, help them with their similar journey. Mm-hmm. Um, the journey won't be the exact same, but it's going to be similar. And so th- there's a lot to learn just from our experiences. But it, it's just, um, you know, it's just like all of us, you know, you, you don't know what, you know, when you get into this, you don't really know what you're doing. You're no. just trying figure it out. <laughs> and you and can't, so, even if there was a, a book like 101, it, it, it doesn't progress the same for every person and every family. So, you know, the best things we can do is all bring forth what we've gone through so that people know it is, it, I mean, there's so many similarities, but there's so many differences too. And, and I think sometimes people, you know, like, well, my mom doesn't act like your mom or, you know, your dad, or, you know, we're not doing that, or, 
you know, they would never like that. Well, that's okay. That's them. You have to adapt to the person that you're caring for. And, and I think, you know, like everybody else, everyone wants a silver bullet in a pill form so that they don't have to deal with it and just make it, make it, make it back the way it was, you know, and they want the same thing with, with, uh, caring advice. And it just doesn't work that way. Nothing in life works that way, as far as I'm concerned. And we have to embrace the the spontaneity. But I, I love when you talk about Godspeed, because I think it really is important to share the journey. Um, I think there's so much comfort people get in a shared journey, and it allows them to feel like, well, maybe, maybe there's people that want to hear my story, too. Maybe I could help others, because I think we get I think we get pounded so often, and especially in the earlier years with my mom, the messaging was all so negative. Mm -hmm. And so everyone thought, well, I know nothing. I know nothing. I know nothing. And and we all feel that way. But yet we know something more than someone else who's just starting. Even if we're two days ahead of them, we have a little bit more more knowledge than they do because we've experienced a couple of things. And giving that value it's huge. It's huge to the person just starting out. You cried too. You, you were lost. You didn't know what to do. Oh, I thought it was just me. I mean, taking away that aloneness and that isolation, that's massive. Now, along with your mom, your mom had some different ailments, but so did your, your father and your father-in-law. So it wasn't just your mom. It sounds like that you were caring for so can, can you talk a little, because in most families, it is a mixed bag, but I would, I would think there's probably some overlap on how you care even with different ailments, but, you know, please tell me if I'm wrong and, and highlight, um, highlight what your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, Karen is Karen. And so like this, what really, what was happening is my mother had Alzheimer's. My father, he had, he was like a chronic diabetic. And the, mm-hmm. the issue he was having, he kept having these um, low sugar episodes. Okay. And so, well, well low sugar episodes, I mean, sugar drops so low that they, um, we got to bring it back up because they either like pass out or they become like dementia like themselves. They mm-hmm. just become disoriented. And so he was going through a lot of those spells. And fortunately, every time he had one, I was there. He had one that almost took him out because sugar had dropped down to 21. And they had to uh, actually do um, yeah, the fibrillator out and resuscitate him and bring him back, you know. Oh, <laughs> wow. Life. It, it, got, it was really, really bad. And I share that in my book as well. My father-in-law, um, he came to live with us right after my mother got diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So the reason he, so he lived in Chicago with my mother-in-law and she had died from, um, from cancer, mm-hmm. myeloma cancer. So that's, and so he couldn't sustain himself by himself, sustain himself off of just his mm-hmm. income. So he can't live with us. But shortly after he moved in, my wife and I and, and my two kids, he um suffered well he was he got all new doctors mm-hmm. and um he went to the doctor and the doctor said he asked the doctor i need to get some my prescription filled for uh acid reflux mm-hmm. his doctor said i don't think you have acid reflux they did other tests found out he had clogged arteries he had five clogged arteries oh wow <laughs> so he had to go do open heart surgery they replaced those veins with veins from his legs which is not the best veins you can use, but this is something. And he suffered from this um, situation where this fluid would back up on his belly for like, I mean, it, it did for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And the fluid that backed up on his belly was sometimes, it'd be 10 pounds of fluid, nine pounds of fluid, eight pounds. And we had, get, had to get a drain every week. And so I was at the hospital with him every week getting his stomach drained and so so I mean I was doing that take care of my parents <laughs> and all at the same time it was a lot it mm-hmm. was a lot because um I was just bouncing from my house to to my parents house mm-hmm. and so what ended up happening I didn't work for like three years mm-hmm. 
And, um, and it wasn't about the, it wasn't, it just happened that way. But mm-hmm. the reality of it all, when I think about all the things I had to do, it, it really wasn't possible for me to work. Yep. Because there, it was just, it was nobody to do it but me. My wife, she was working. And so thank God, because that's how we sustain ourselves for that period of time. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was, it, it, it was pretty rough. So like this book I'm sharing with you today, it's called Daddy is Still Here. It's really the backstory to my first book. Okay. My mama is still here. So in the first book, I talk solely about my mother and her Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and her going through all the different stages of Alzheimer's. But when I share that story in that book, I don't talk about the caregiving I was providing for my father and my father-in-law. Mm-hmm. And so in this book, How Daddy is Still Here, I'm, I'm sharing that story. And also they're sharing the story of being a member of what we call the sandwich generation. Mm-hmm. Because I had, I got, I got twins. They were at the time when all this began, they were like, they last, they, they, uh, they were like juniors in high school mm-hmm. and they were on their way to college. And so, you know, I was, you know, you take care of your kids. Okay. It's still kids, even they like, you know, teenagers. And I was dealing with them. And when they got to college, they weren't doing all the things they should have been doing. So I was dealing with all of their shenanigans and trying to be a caregiver to my, <laughs> you know, to my parents and my father-in-law. So it, it, it was just a lot. Go- I was pulled in so many different directions. Um, even going through all of that, my daughter um, goes away to college, ends up getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so now we're dealing with a grandchild. and so it was just it it was a lot you know it was just it's a lot it's a it's a story a chapter in my book where I describe just one day and what one day looked like and and when you look at what one day looked like it was exhausting Mm -hmm. um my editor he was reading it and he said that this book is not really about caregiving it's about surviving (laughs) well you and you feel like that I mean and and it is it is exhausting. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And, you know, depending on who all the players are, like with, with my folks, you know, my dad with the brain cancer, my mom with, with Alzheimer's, I wanted to care for them. They appreciated the care, you know, that I was giving them, but then I was caring for a lot of other people, friends, family, um, employees and things. And they didn't always, they wanted the help. You, you become the fixer in everybody's eyes. You, you become the safe person to go to, to, to fix everything. And a lot of those people didn't really care. They really weren't putting effort into it. They were like, I, I, I felt like I was like a drive-through. They would come in, they would drop it off. <laughs> and then I'm supposed to fix it. And I did that for a long time. And then they would drive off and then they would kind of come back with another problem. And it was just like, oh my God, I can't do all of this. You know, so I, for me, I had to put up a barrier after a while going, I am not putting more work into your life than you. I will, I will support you any way I can, but I have to draw the line there because I'm running out of juice at this sense. You know, I, I just feel like I'm being drained here you know, with everything and, and not that I needed the, the pat on the back of, of the thank you, but, you know, my parents had, had given me so much. I mean, it wasn't even a question for me to help them out. I mean, it, that wasn't even a, a thought. Um, but for the others, I, it got to the point where I just, I felt a little used and abused. And, and when I pulled back, it was funny how many people dropped out of my life because I wasn't their fixer anymore. And that made me feel really bad um, and really kind of lost. And then all these other great people filled that space in and lifted me up. And so that can be, a, I think, a struggle for a lot of people when you have, when you have so much going. And, and I think we make other people dizzy looking at us too when they know, oh my gosh, you're doing this and you're doing that and you're doing this. And, and they kind of go, oh, you know, how, how are you, how are you surviving? But yet they don't really know how to support you, you know, many of them either. And, and I don't, I know I sure didn't know how to ask for help. You know, I was just too busy doing stuff. Did you fall into that rut too? 
Yeah, I got a chapter in my book. It's called The Ball of Confusion. That's why I'm laughing because mm-hmm. I, because I, I write about that. And uh, the thing is, is that um, I did ask for help, but it it's nothing worse than getting help than asking. For, it's nothing worse than a person said they're going to help and do something to exhibit that they're helping, but they don't want to really help. Yep. So that was, you know, like for me, like, like you, I just, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't even a thought. It wasn't a question. I mean, these are my parents. I love these people to death. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to, I, I, it was, it, it was never an issue. And I'm, and I'm tired. I'm, and I'm frustrated. You know, I just did what had to be done. Yeah. And, and that was, and, and, and the thing is, is that I, I treated my father a lot the exact same way. I mean, you know, just because that he was my biological father, I gave him the same care and respect I gave my parents. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it was that I re, we were all like a unit mm-hmm. because it, my parents and my in-laws were friends. Mm-hmm. And so they were, I mean, my mother would invite them to to come down from Chicago for a cat a fish fry. Mm-hmm. They were there. They came to our family reunions. I mean, it was like it, it was a seamless thing for us. So it wasn't no question about, I mean, yeah, of course we're going to, I'm going to take care of my father-in-law. Mm-hmm. But um the challenge I had was that um the other challenge I had was just, you know, when you don't, when people not getting what they want out of the situation. Like my parents couldn't be, uh, they couldn't do what they did before because of their ailments. Yep. And so people just start dropping off. They start dropping off. Yeah. And, and and the thing is, is that I had to grieve those relationships. Mm-hmm. And so the way I described it in my book, I talk about how my mother gave me this, when I, growing up, I had this picture and we had this picture of what the family looked like, the extended family. It was this perfect picture. Mm-hmm. And I carried that picture in my heart, you know, all my life, all my childhood, all my young adult life until up to this point where my parents got ill. And so when they got ill, I had, I realized that it's, I, 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 I got to look at these, in these people now from my lens and not through the lens of my mother or my father anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I start to look through it through my lens and I didn't like what I was seeing. Yeah. And I just, and it, it got to a place where I just had to just allow people just to fall off. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't, I, I couldn't sustain the relationship like my parents did, mm-hmm. nor did they want to, mm-hmm. because that was my parents thing, not my thing. I just came with the package. I wasn't their thing. Yeah. My parents was their thing. I was just along for the ride. And what I realized that we really didn't have a relationship. Mm-hmm. It was just something that I just thought we had. And so I had to agree those relationships. And I went through that whole cycle of grief, like denial. I went through that. I went through, well, maybe if I had a did this, like bargaining, maybe it wouldn't be this way. Then I got depressed. Then I got angry. Then I went back and forth in iterations of all of that. Now eventually I just accept this is the way it's going to be. Yep. And that's what I did. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting journey, that's for sure. Is there anything that you want our audience to know about the journey? You know, you know, for them, uh, for those who are you know, walking this path right now, any words of wisdom? I think the biggest thing is for me, I, I said two things earlier <laughs> and I said them again, you, you, you got two jobs, keeping your, keeping them safe mm-hmm. and then comforting them. Yep. The other component to this is, um, I call it the three C's. Mm-hmm. And it's about coping, caring and conquering your fears. Mm-hmm. And so I think what's really important for especially a, a newcomer to this journey of caregiving and especially Alzheimer's, you really need to educate yourself 
um, on the disease and uh, and, and caregiving. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that because that without that you can never conquer your fears. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing too, you know, um, you know, my book has that I have it has um, it has Bible scriptures and it has prayers. And so mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. And I had to really dive, dive in deep into my faith to really navigate through this whole journey. Mm-hmm. And so my prayer life got big <laughs> real quick. And so uh, if you know, in my book, I always in every chapter with a prayer. And so I really, um, I mean, prayer was kind of my weapon. I, I want to say weapon, but it was a resource that I used just so I can just... Um, um, strengthen myself to keep going continuously because it, it was really no one else to feel me other than my faith. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's why I would encourage people to do. Um, I use my faith to feel me because it, you get depleted so quickly mm-hmm. in this caregiving journey, regardless of what that disease may be, because that the people you're caring for are people that you love and it's hard to see people that you love suffer and so you need to find some way to replenish yourself and that's how I replenish myself yeah and faith is a is a supercharger for a lot of people and i do think you know we're also used to you know plugging in our phones but we don't think about recharging ourselves i know i sure didn't on the journey i was too busy being busy you know, in the beginning. And then it was like, then I really realized, oh, I can't be my best if I'm not fully charged. I think the other thing about faith too, is it allows you to not feel alone. Cause there's a lot of things that happen that you just question, like, why, why is this happening? But if you have that greater faith, whatever it might be, you know, there's a plan and for me, you know, I, I think of with my mom, because to me, it, it turned into a very spiritual um, process that I, I wasn't expecting it to be, but she taught me so much. And I, and I'm thankful that she lived as long as she did to teach me as much as she did through her illness so that I could help others. And, and that, you know, that gave it a purpose you know, just like with you. And I think if you, if you can feel like it wasn't all for not, there's something that I can do with this to help others. And to me, that gave me a lot of comfort um, instead of, you know, falling into the pit of why me, why is this all falling on my lap? You know, no one else is dealing with this and you could kind of go down that whole other path, but it was like, no, this is, this is my, this is my purpose. And this is what I'm supposed to do with what I'm learning, you know, through this journey and to, to look at, you know, one of the things I learned through this, and I think I already, I did it, but I didn't do it consciously, um, was I really learned to ask, um, God, what is, what is the lesson when I'd get really frustrated? And sometimes I wouldn't ask very nice. Sometimes I'd go in the basement when no one was home and I'd scream at the top of my lungs going, come on now, I am not getting this. I know there's a lesson. It needs to be clear to me because this doesn't make sense to put any of us through this if there's not a lesson. And I just think there's a lot of lessons in a really strange package called dementia, you know, and caring as a whole. And, and for me, when I, when I learn to consciously ask that question nowadays before I get that frustrated, but in earlier days, I did get that frustrated because I was too busy being busy and I didn't even notice that I was kind of on edge. You know, I think I'm much more in tune with my, my own moods and things. I think everybody else saw it, but probably me, <laughs> you know, because I was too busy trying to be in control and thinking everything was calm. And um, that was always really important to me. And, and now I know that, boy, there's a lot of beauty and detours in life. And sometimes you just have to let go and be spontaneous and enjoy what's there. Even if it's not like it used to be, that doesn't mean it can't be beautiful. I would say one thing after you say one comment about what lesson is in this. Sometimes I feel like all the lessons aren't for me. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, some of those lessons is for others. I'm modeling a lesson for them. Yep. And so, um, and that's why I just think just, just having this whole journey of life, like even with my parents, uh, um, I mean, my, my, I, I watched my mother care for my grandmother when she was sick with the mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. Um, I watched, you know, my grandfather care for my grandmother when she was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched my dad care for my mother, you know, and so those were those were lessons for me because that again like I always say like daddy is still here my dad he modeled he was an example of how a husband should take care of his wife yep you know and he could have easily just put her like in a nursing home and and just went on with his life and Mm -hmm. you know he could have did he could easily did but he didn't and he got joy out of taking care of my mother, even though it was difficult. You know, you just saw the light that came in his eyes. You saw the the smile. You saw the joy, or you saw, or you even saw the, the sadness because mm-hmm. this, this was his wife. Yep. Um, and, and so being proud of taking care of her. Yeah. That's what I saw in my dad too. Was you know. My, my dad was kind of like, well, this is my duty. I mean, my gosh, she's taking care of the whole family all our lives. This, this is not much to ask of me at this point. And granted, it's not easy. And I didn't know how hard her job was probably all those other years. Um, but, you know, my dad did the same thing, just stepped up and it was not questioned at all. Just mm-hmm. not at all. And, and that is, I think that is one of the best ways to, for people to learn is to see it modeled. So you seeing that in your dad and even taking time to write, um, you know, the book on that one in terms of, of his strength and, and his journey and, you know, how that affected you as a, as a son and, um, and how, how, you know, both their stories are going to ripple out into the world. You know, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It, it brings me joy that I was able to do that. And one thing I'm happy about, even with the first book, you know, the mama's still here. Part of I published that book before my mother passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I really appreciate that I was able to do it then because it gave my dad a chance to get his flowers before he passed. Because mm-hmm. when I did book signings, things like that, I would always bring my dad with me. And then, and then I, I will always introduce him to like the audience. Mm-hmm. And every time he will always get a standing ovation. Yep. And, 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 it, and, and, and it just made him, it gave him so much joy. It's just that, you know, he didn't, he thought what he was doing was just, you know, he was doing what he's supposed to do. You know, he yep. died to death do his part. And that's mm-hmm. what he was doing. But at the same time to get the acknowledgement from others was just Mm. it was priceless yep 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 well and it just reinforces what he did was um was the right thing and you know that he's able to help other people and not only proud of himself and his relationship with his wife but proud of you and what you've accomplished i mean there's just a there's a big ripple effect you know with all of that so um, I do want to let our, our listeners know that they can go to your website and they can subscribe. And the website is a stillhearseries.com. You can also go to LinkedIn and find him under Norris Roberts Jr. And we've listed the YouTube channel as well and your Facebook page, Mama's Still Here, as well as your Instagram you know, signature there too. I also want to just mention that, that Norris is on Dementia Map, which is our global resource directory. So you can find him there as well, but, you know, check these books out. What a beautiful, you know, story in each of these books, Um, different types of journeys, um, but yet still connected with, with lots of great lessons uh, that we all need to learn. So thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you for taking the time to write the books. I know that's, that is time consuming. And most people don't understand how much time that takes to do, but it really makes a big difference to so many. So I appreciate you being with us today, Norris. Thank you. Thank you.
And for our listeners, I hope you like, click, and share. You know, don't keep these nuggets to yourself. You know, share these episodes. There are so many people out there dealing with different forms of dementia, and they don't know where to go. So help them out. Make it a little bit easier. You probably have a lot of people in your circle, just like the rest of us do, of people dealing with this that that don't even talk about it. And so if you share a post, somebody might find it that hasn't opened up about it. And then we'll feel a little bit more comfortable about talking about it with others and get connected. So thanks again, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Bye now. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.